Hi everyone and welcome to Overtime, where leaders come to learn. I am your host, Jillian Davis, author of First Time Leader and founder of Overtime, where we're on a mission to help managers everywhere level up their leadership ability. Now we're doing this through a combination of content sharing, like this podcast, like our weekly newsletter and our website, OvertimeLeader.com, as well as building a community. So a couple of weeks ago, and some of you might have received a survey from me, uh, we reached out to some of our core users and people that expressed interest in us and in what we're doing, and we sent them a survey to get a better understanding of how we could best serve them. We all recognize that there's a need to help managers in this kind of weird time of transition and change, um, but I want to make sure that we're providing the right solution. Um, there's a lot of content online and offline about leadership, and we don't want to add to the noise. So it's really important for us as a team to listen to our core users to make sure that we can really you know, address them where, where we're needed. And what was interesting was the feedback that I got from a lot of people that responded was when I asked them, uh, you know, what did they feel was missing in their uh, learning and development toolkit or what was being offered in their work, if anything was being offered, was actually the chance to engage with other managers uh, and have an ability to learn from people that have done something, tried something. Um, and I think this, it resonates a lot with me. It would have definitely been great to have a community of other managers. When I had set out my first time manager journey, um, so we're trialing this idea of actually creating a community for managers, and there'll be some requirements to join, obviously, um, but through using uh, an online community software tool, we're you know creating a space for managers to learn from each other, uh, facilitated by myself thinking about getting other experts to, you know, do maybe monthly um, online video calls, things like that. Um, yeah, and we're going to try it and see where it goes. We're looking for our first 100 users, so to speak. So if this sounds of interest to you and uh, you think you'd, you know, benefit, uh, reach out to me, Jillian at crescentmain.com. Uh, you can reach me at, at Twitter. LinkedIn, whatever you prefer, but um, yeah, do reach out. I'm excited to see you know how this community forms and if this is really a thing. Today on the podcast, we are covering one of the skills I think is one of the biggest in need, and that is hiring, recruiting, and interviewing. Uh, we have uh, with us on this episode, Kunjal Tana, who is a veteran tech recruiter with 15 years of experience across the UK and the US. She co-founded LT Harper, a specialist recruitment business in the cybersecurity sector in 2017 to help organizations in the UK, Europe, and the US attract, hire, and retain cybersecurity talent. She's passionate about collaboration and recruitment, optimization of the recruitment process, and diversity in the workplace. It was really great to sit down always with a, a fellow recruiter. Um, I think, you know, You've probably all heard recruitment gets a really bad name, but when you find the right recruiter, they can make a heck of a difference. Um, and one of the things when I reflect on starting my career and being born into an executive recruitment business, um, there were kind of some key things that I now appreciate that I learned in, in that experience. One is ability to manage stakeholders. So when you're doing recruitment, 
um, you know, you have, you, you're always on, you sit between the client and the candidate and they are both equally really important customers to you. Um, so there's constant stakeholder management between the client's expectations or the hiring manager's expectations and the candidate's expectations. Uh, the other thing is recognizing for me, you know, I was quite young when I was doing this and calling quite senior people. Um, and I'm really fortunate that I had that ability, but it really made me realize that even though titles can make people seem really unapproachable and scary, at the end of the day, we're all human. So don't ever feel like, don't hold back reaching out to someone because of a title or a level of seniority. Most people are so open to talk to another interesting person. Um, and lastly, the importance of candidate management. So having many, many interviews, for example, uh, can really deter a candidate thinking that your company is the best company ever and they should be lucky to even be talking to you. Really not the right attitude, especially when you're trying to find hard to find talent. And it's likely that the people you're talking to are also, they might be talking to other people. And you really have to take kind of a, a, a very different approach if you're, you know, getting them in. It's, it's like customer acquisition. It's exactly the same approach. Um, a lot of people don't feel like, oh, you're my customer, you should be so lucky to use my service. No, that's not an approach we take, yet somehow we take that with candidates. So anyways, a lot a lot of learnings um, from my recruitment experience. Uh, what Another thing that Kunjal shares with us today is her experience with remote working. So she uh, set up kind of the US base of her one of her former uh, companies that she was working for and scaled it from about four people to f- over 400 people which is crazy. So she goes into detail about how she did that. And each one of her teams were kind of spread out across the country um, and goes through how she managed, um, you know, re- managing these all these remote teams because that comes with a huge challenge. So hope you enjoy uh, my chat with Kunjal. It was really great to have her on. And if, as always, if you think of someone or you think you'd be great on this podcast because you've got great tips to share, you've been through, you know, an experience that you think others can learn from, reach out, don't be shy. We're always looking for interesting podcast guests. So thanks again, and hope you enjoy today's episode. So hi, everyone. I'm here with Kunjal, co-founder at LT Harper, uh, experts in cybersecurity recruitment. Uh, thanks, Kunjal, for coming on to the Overtime Podcast. Thank you. Why don't we kick off like I do with all my guests uh, and a little bit of backstory as to, you know, where where you've come from and, and you know, the role that you play now at LT Harper. Sure. Um, so the majority of my career has been in tech recruitment. So I've been working in that space for about 15 years and started in London with a company which at the time was relatively small. Um, worked with them for a couple of years and then they had plans to open up a US business so I put my hand up to go and help do that so five of us moved over um, and we were in one tiny little office and in the 10 years that I was in the US um, took that team of five to 450 across nine different offices um, I left there in 2016 and moved back to London and set up my own business specialising in cybersecurity recruitment um, in April of 
Awesome. What a career trajectory that is. Yeah, it's been pretty exciting. <laughs> I can imagine. And how do you find, you know, working now as a co-founder and kind of starting that journey? How's, how's that for you? It's still early days, but so far I love it. And yeah. People kind of talk about it being super stressful and you just won't know whether you're coming or going. It's actually been really, really nice. We've had a great start and we get along really well. We complement each other in terms of what we like to do, what we are good at. Um, so, so far, so good. Yeah, I feel really good about it. Awesome. Well, that's congratulations on you because even though it might feel easy, it's no easy feat. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, so, um, I'm really keen to talk about growing your team from five to 450 across nine different states. Different offices. Different offices. Uh, all different states, yeah. 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 Different states, yeah. So although you were in tech recruitment and I've been in recruitment, we often weren't that great at recruiting ourselves. So everything that we were specialists in for our clients, you would assume that that would be applied internally, but it hardly ever was. And Was that the same for you? And, and what, what did you learn going from four to or five to four fifty. So many things. <laughs> um, I think probably there are a couple of things that really kind of took away in terms of when you do want to scale up a business um, to that size that quickly. Um, I think the first one is you've got to plan for it. It's not just going to happen. Mm. Um, so by planning, I'm talking about making sure you've got a team that's equipped to um, source the type of people that you want. In order to source the type of people you want, you've got to know your competitors really, really well. And I don't just mean from the perspective of knowing which companies you want to hire from. Mm. You need to know them a lot better than that. You need to understand what is their compensation structure, what are their selling points, why do people like working there, what's going to um, tempt them away from there, mm. um, and really get to know individuals in that business. And I always found that there'd always be some people who'd be really willing to tell you all the warts and all story of what it's like to work at an organisation, and you just had to make them your friend and your ally mm. so that you then know who to approach um, in those organisations that you, want, you wanted to target. Um, and then the other side, which I think a lot of companies um, can get quite arrogant because, you know, the reality is you're probably only going to be scaling up a business if you're going from a pretty good foundation, right? And yeah. um, you've got all these accolades and everyone's telling you how great you are and you're doing so well. Um, but that's not necessarily going to translate to somebody externally until unless you prepare for what is your sales pitch for those people that you're trying to attract so you've got to really know your company inside and out so mm -hmm. that you can sell the appropriate facet of that company to the person coming in that you're trying to tempt away from a job that they're probably doing really well at right now otherwise you wouldn't be interested in them <laughs> very true um, so yeah i think a lot of planning and and planning at quite a deep level is is required so very much thinking for managers or hiring managers to think about, um, you know, really selling the job and selling the company. I find I have to remind people I work with very often that, you know, you might be in the role and you've been in that company for a while and it's all really great and you can have the insight on what the company's working on and it's super exciting. But for uh, a talented, skilled person who are getting lots of offers, mm -hmm. you have to do the effort and make yourself stand out. Yeah, and there's so many parts to that, right? So um, I find it crazy that sometimes um, hiring managers will be like, oh, I'm too busy to interview, I'm just going to send somebody else in to do it for me. 
well, that person's taken the time out to come and see what it's like to work for you, not what it's like to work with their peers, right? People mm. buy into who their manager will be and what they have to offer. So it's really important that people take the time not just to plan for what that conversation might look like, but actually um, engaging like that with that person and making it a two-way conversation rather than grilling them yeah you know it's and, and that again requires planning and preparation and um, in my job now I'll quite often get clients saying oh or candidates coming out of interviews saying no I don't, don't know if they were really expecting me well, of course they were expecting you they had an interview <laughs> in their schedule but you know hiring managers I get it people are really busy but you know these people are taking time out to come in and meet with you and you're the first face of the company that they see so you've only got one shot to make a good impression and mm. you've got a plan to figure out what is going to make this person want to come and join my company um because the the testing them to see if if they're good enough that's a given that's quite yeah. easy to do very very true i i often i, I try to um, reinforce that you know the responsibility is on the hiring mm. manager not on internal HR not mm. on um, ex- external recruiters those are all there to support Absolutely. you find the right person but not to do the work for mm. you um, what advice do you give because I'm sure I'm not the only person beating on that drum mm. what advice do you give hiring managers that you know don't seem to value uh, or put a time put aside the time mm. needed to manage a role so if I um, take it from the perspective of a recruiter, um, you know, I think in any business you've just got to value your time and the truth is I'm going to put more effort and time into recruiting for somebody who has taken the time to meet with me, give me the detail on the specifics of what they expect this person to achieve, what's the ideal profile, what's the mm-hmm. process and they actually have a process. And um, You know, there are people who don't really... Um, follow through with all of those um, things but I think in that event because this is my business um, I take it upon myself to make sure that before somebody goes in for an interview I'll write a very very detailed email about here is where this candidate's head is at in terms of what they like about their current role why they might consider moving what other opportunities they have on the table and prepare Mm. them so that they've got all of the um, armour in front of them to say right here's how I'm going to handle that Um, but more, I guess, to answer your, your question, where people are being um, resistant to, to taking the time, it's a combination of two things. I, you know, I've got to value my time and I've got to make a decision whether I'm going to put time into working with that hiring manager because it's probably not going to work very smoothly for them mm-hmm. um, and do my very best to kind of explain to them the benefits to them of taking the time to work with a recruiter or an internal recruitment team or whatever it is to make sure you give them as much detail as possible because as you said before they we are there to support them in making the hire mm-hmm. um, so the more information we have the easier it's going to be for us to achieve what they're trying to get. Yeah, totally. And, and so often the whole process just dismissed on the fact that it's too hard, but actually mm. effort and energy wasn't there in yeah. the beginning. Yeah. Um, great people don't just show up. Exactly. I wish they did. Yeah. Um, so going back to your own experience, one thing that I'm really curious to, to kind of get insight on is some of the cultural differences that you found uh, going from London and then to the U.S. and, you know, hiring in the U.S., I... I I have a couple, or I work with a couple people in the U.S., and they always say that just the mentality in the U.S. is very different towards work because of the employment laws. Mm-hmm. 
you know, like we had one case where the uh, European office responded in one way to some new initiative and the U.S. office just, well, okay, well, we'll get on with it because that's just yeah. kind of the mindset. Have, yeah. Did you find that firsthand? And, and Yeah, I'd say take it a little bit further than that, actually. What I found was really, really interesting was... Um, the different rates of adoption between the different states. Oh, interesting. Um, I spent the last two years, I was in America, I was in San Francisco, mm. so people adopt things very, very quickly, um, and they're always coming up with new ideas and new initiatives, so video interviewing was a great example right. of um, the hiring managers wanted to do it, my team wanted to do it, um, You know, so we did a pilot, we picked a company, and we were all ready to roll it out. Um, but my team in places like Chicago, um, where it was a much more kind of traditional process and people didn't necessarily feel comfortable asking candidates to interview over video, mm-hmm. um, they were a lot more resistant. So it probably goes a little bit further than just wow. um, across the pond. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I'd say... Um, San Francisco is probably an anomaly um, in terms of how quickly things are adopted, but I would broadly agree. Um, in the US, I found people were much more willing to give things a try, mm. um, and if they worked great, then we'd roll it out across the board. Um, if they didn't, no big deal. We'd just carry on and you know move on to the next thing. Right. Whereas in the U in the UK. Um, and I think this has changed in, in the kind of 10 years I've been away, but I think when I first started recruiting in the UK, um, people were very, very kind of set in their way about how they were doing things and they knew best, whereas I find that now they're much more open to kind of, um, you know, whether it's myself as an external recruiter or an internal recruitment team, genuinely working collaboratively and asking for our advice and our opinion on what's the best way to attract talent and what you know what does the market look like and it's become a bit more than just a transactional um you know deal of find me a candidate Mm. there's more that we can offer and and that as I said goes for an internal or an external recruiter I think that's an interesting shift and I you know I think it's a recognition that maybe well since my dad started in recruitment in the 1970s, um, and I think they were using the term war for talent to right. keep using it, but it really feels like now there is such a shortage, yeah. and the need to work collaboratively with mm. external partners is mm-hmm. so key, and, and you can't put a stake in the ground and say, I know this will work, because it doesn't work anymore. Yeah probably add one thing actually which um, quite often doesn't get linked with recruitment but one of the things I found um, was really really good in America was the branding effort Mm. um, behind any company and how much that helped recruitment Um, you know branding means so many different things right so it's right from What's the feedback on Glassdoor about your company? I think a lot of companies in the UK don't aren't even familiar with Glassdoor. Yeah. And it's easy to say, well, you know, we don't recruit in America, so we don't need to know. But actually, you're probably going to think about expansion globally at some point. Um, Glassdoor is so widely used that it, it can be a detractor for people. Um, it can mean, um, the branding can be, how do you look after people during the interview process? What is their experience? It can mean, what does, what's the um, process like for new people in their first day and first week when they join the organisation? Do they get a swag bag? Do they get go on induction? Um, and, you know, I think this is something that we really struggled with as a British company moving to the US. Um, 
the idea of somebody wearing a sweatshirt, you know, branded with our name on was just so alien. And, and as a British management team, everyone was like, I would never wear that. <laughs> and then we hired Americans and they were like, I want one. I absolutely yeah. want one. All yeah. my friends have one with their, you know, company logo on. And it is about listening to what does the local market need um, the branding to look like in order for you to attract people and keep them happy. So um, I think that's a really important part of um, making sure that recruitment runs smoothly. I agree. And I, I think not to associate being known as a company as it uh, meaning that you're known as an employer. Mm-hmm. That's something I've learned um, is even though people might use a service or use mm-hmm. a product, they don't always think about working for that mm-hmm. place. And mm-hmm. you want to, the brand efforts need to be just as emphasized from an employer point of view Absolutely. as for a customer acquisition because the game is exactly the same. Yeah, yeah. Yet not a lot of effort is put into yeah. how do our, how, what's the employee experience yeah. from the first time that they have any kind of interaction yeah, yeah totally. until hopefully you know we get them in and then what it, what's it like yeah. once they're in and then tied in with that is especially around the interview process what is the feedback loop like mm. right you hear this from pretty much anyone in any industry the most frustrating thing is you've taken the time to prepare for an interview you've gone in and you know you've worked hard to actually do a good job but maybe you weren't successful but you want some feedback right and um who gets the negative press when you don't get feedback? It's either the recruiter or the company that interviewed. Yeah. And um, you don't want to be that company because that news does spread. Right? Yeah. They'll just go and tell the three guys sitting next to them, you know, don't bother interviewing with that company. I don't know why I didn't get the job. Yeah. I never heard back from mm-hmm. them. And yeah, yeah, I think that stuff is, is really important to reinforce because mm-hmm. you have that stuff that's, you have complete control Absolutely. on other things you don't and you don't waste your time yeah. stressing about it but totally. where you can control it and you know how quickly you get back to candidates and mm-hmm. the level of feedback that you give back mm-hmm. not just you didn't make it through yeah. you know they like you said earlier they've spent their time invested their time into mm-hmm. coming and being interviewed with you at the very least you owe them yeah, a couple of lines on of respect, yeah it? exactly yeah. And, and then the same goes for hiring managers giving feedback on interviews to your recruiter whether it's yeah. internal or external because they will use that to filter candidates out who aren't the same as the ones that you didn't like for those reasons very so. true yeah the more specific you can be the better it is for the whole process yeah, totally. and i think uh, important to remember not to shut any doors down because mm-hmm. they may not be right now mm-hmm. but if they've had a good experience yeah. and they're they're right in a couple of years yeah. and they say nice things about your company and the yeah. experience they had yeah. then you keep the door open yeah, but great point. I've, I've seen so many cases where oh they didn't make it through and it's like they're dead to me yeah, yeah. um but like you said that they will tell their three friends and yeah. you know the world is getting smaller and smaller yeah. and people yeah. are becoming more and more open yeah um that's really another thing i want to pick up on relation to this topic is interviews mm-hmm. um do you is there what's the best practice for conducting interviews because some people you know i know have gone through eight stages until they get an offer mm-hmm. others it's three really casual coffees mm-hmm. what what have you found to be or what would you advise for hiring managers when they're designing their process okay and um, so there's a couple of things right the first one we've already talked about which is the planning and preparation ahead of the interview know what you're trying to get out of it and um, I advise against more than two stages yeah if you want a third make it something genuinely informal and um, I think the thing to remember for an interview is um, 
It is a two-way street um, and you are there to evaluate them and they are there to evaluate you, right? Um, so there's a risk and I think there's a tendency at the moment, especially as you say, where there is a shortage of talent to kind of make interviews feel quite informal. Mm. Um, but sometimes you come away with quite surface level information if you make it too informal. Um, and that again then comes back to the preparation, right? If you know what you're trying to get out there, you can do that in an informal fashion, but in order for that to happen, you've got to done the, the preparation. Yeah. Um, at the same time, you don't want to be so formal and rigid in your process that if a conversation um, you know, strikes up and it's relevant to your business, you want to be able to get into that, right? And those are the best interviews, I think, where it genuinely feels like a conversation rather than a question-answer session. Yeah. Um, so I think the most skilled interviewers become really comfortable with knowing what they're trying to get out and then just letting things run as a conversation conversation but to people who are new to interviewing I would err on the side of have your set list of questions and go through those rather than go in and trying to be somebody's friend because mm. then you're just going to be hiring someone based on whether you like them or not certainly not on whether they're capable of doing the job that you're trying to get them to do totally and how do you, should one select who else gets to be in the interviews um yeah really good question um so again comes back to the preparation, <laughs> yeah. what do you want to get out of this, right? Um, let's just say you're hiring for somebody technical. Um, you want somebody who is technically qualified to assess their level of skills. Now, that might be you if you're a technical person. If not, make sure you've got somebody who is genuinely able to question around technologies, but prepare the candidate. You know, what level does this person work at? And are they peers? Are they more junior than this person, more mm -hmm. senior? Mm -hmm. um, you know, make sure that they know ahead of time because there's nothing more off-putting than thinking, oh, they sent someone really, really junior into come and talk to me well if they've known about it ahead of time and while they might be more junior in terms of level experience but they in terms of number of years yeah. they might be an expert in whatever they yeah. want to question yeah. around um so yeah somebody technical if it's going to be for a technical interview definitely the hiring manager they have to be in there um you know it, it's about can you work together um and that hiring manager again it's it's easy to fall into that kind of um space of do i like this person yeah you want to like the people that you work with but you also need to kind of make sure that they're going to fit into your team and you, you need to go into the interview knowing what's the landscape of your team from a cultural perspective do you have you know a bunch of extroverts um you know and you need to balance it out with somebody who's maybe a little bit more of an introvert or mm -hmm. vice versa. You want to make sure that you've, you're going in with that as a perspective because there's a tendency to kind of go in and think, this person's exactly like me, I'll get along really well with them and they're exactly like the four or five other people on the <laughs> team. And you end up with you know a bunch of the same people which doesn't really bring about much diverse thought. So yes. um, yeah, somebody technical and the hiring manager. I don't think there's a particular need for somebody from human resources to be involved in interviews I don't think that there's anything wrong with it but mm. um you know the decision I think should be made by the people who will be working with this person there may be um a time where you might invite a client to um you know join in the interview oh, interesting any kind yeah. of um you know feel about this person's ability um you, you know I, I've had interviews where um, at a senior level people have brought in not exec members um, and that was more from the perspective of making the candidate feel valued important mm. that you know we're getting somebody really
really, really kind of important in our business to take time with you so that they can answer your questions, mm -hmm. not just um, grill you on whether you'd be good or not. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's a really interesting um, approach using a non-exec. Yeah, yeah, I thought it was really, really good about that. Yeah, because they can also kind of play a bit of an objective exactly. role and paint a wider picture. Exactly. Than... Oh, that's neat. Um, so I'm going back to kind of growing your team quickly for someone doing that now mm. what what do they need to know um what do, what do they need to know um you're not going to get it right every time mm -hmm. um i think it's really easy especially if you're kind of um quite a perfectionist in general um to want to make sure that every hire that you make is going to be absolutely perfect um, and I think you've got to be really pragmatic about these things, right? Um, you will make mistakes. Somebody is going to fall through the cracks, right? And it could go either way. You'll hire somebody that wasn't right or you'll miss out on somebody who could have been perfect. Right. Don't beat yourself up over it, right? It, you, um, if what you're trying to achieve is higher in high volumes. And I'm not saying drop your standards, by no means am I saying that, but I think it's really easy to fall off of the plan of getting to the volume of hiring if you get bogged down by only hiring, you know, yeah. the most perfect people. And this comes back to kind of looking at what is the landscape of the team. You need people who are slightly different to complement each other rather than thinking, well, that person was much better because they had this, this, this and this. Um, and candidate B doesn't have two of those three things. Well, what else do they bring to the table? You know, how else can you use that skill set or that personality type to move your business forward? Um, yeah. Yeah, I think, I guess that's it, you know, don't beat yourself up about who you miss out on or, or where you make a mistake, but also be open-minded that somebody might add value even though they don't look like, mm. um, on paper, like they're the perfect candidate. Very true. And and you, as you mentioned, you were managing quite a few remote teams, yes. which is not as straightforward well, it's just not straightforward. Agreed. Um, what were some of your biggest misconceptions, if you think back to being a remote manager? Well, um, misconceptions, I mean, put it simply, I thought it would be easier than it was. <laughs> um, you know, I think just from a practical standpoint... Um, when you've got a team in five or six different locations, you want to get as much face time with them as possible. And whether that's um, you know physically being in the same office as them, or over you know Skype or video conference or whatever it is, you want to get as much time with them as you can. Um, but it's really difficult to do that kind of ad hoc management with people, yeah. right? You don't know. When they tell you they're struggling with something, you don't see it and live it and breathe it with them day yeah. in, day out, like you do with the team that's immediately around you. So it's definitely much more difficult to support a remote team um, from that perspective. Um, and I think there is just a requirement to upfront put in some genuine time to get to know that person outside of work mm. um, and I don't mean necessarily spending time with them outside of work but getting to know what makes them tick what is important to them and um, you know why are they here um, because 
that when you're managing remote, remotely becomes really, really crucial. You really need to know how am I going to keep this person on the up when they're having a really hard time and I'm not there with them mm. to put an arm around them almost. Um, so, yeah, I think that's really, really important. Did you ever have to performance manage anyone remotely? Yes. How, how did you do that? It was beyond painful. Yeah. And it was really, really difficult. And I'd say probably not something I managed to handle as well as I would have liked, if I'm honest. And, and I think in both of those cases, I think probably would have been better for everyone if I'd have made a decision on both of them and let them go more right. quickly. Right. Um, and I think I struggled with it because I'd asked for feedback from other people who were local in their office mm. and, you know, they weren't responsible for them. They liked those people. Mm. Um, and, you know, their feedback was kind of positive but not glowing. Right. Um, when I was looking at the facts and figures, it was not positive. Um, and I should have just made a decision much more quickly to kind of put everyone out of their misery yeah. and just kind of... As, as we say fail fast and just hire somebody to replace and um, you know then let everyone suffer for a long time but yeah, yeah it was really really challenging I think that's a common like piece of hindsight for a lot of managers that I speak to is whenever it comes to you know what would you have done differently in terms of any performance management <laughs> the answer is consistently do it sooner mm -hmm. than I had done it and, yeah. you know a lot of people wait they think it's going to get better they're going to mm -hmm. leave mm -hmm. they don't and, yeah. and it really creates an awful ripple effect with the rest of the yeah, team really and, and affects the good performers. I totally agree, yeah. More than you, you realize at the time. Mm. Um, and then lastly, you know, your management journey, we've been through so much. It's amazing experience yeah. growing five to 4.15 in another country and now running your own business. Um, what were some of the things that helped you along the way, whether it be people or books or resources? Um, so the company I worked for was pretty good at kind of... Um, you know, internal trainings. We had a training department and we'd have um, annual training as we kind of progressed through our careers. And obviously, you know, to grow a business from five to 450, your management journey is accelerated, yeah. but your learning can't really accelerate at that speed because mm. you're kind of doing the next job without necessarily having the training to do that. And for management, a lot of the training comes from the experience of doing, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, and you don't really get the time to gain that experience. <laughs> um, so the internal training was great. Um, I think if I was to say one thing that was lacking from them, we didn't really get much um, opportunity to have any external training. Mm. Um, so there was a little bit, but nothing that I found particularly valuable. But I think what I found really, really helpful was I ended up just building a group of mentors who were outside of the business, not necessarily anything to do with my industry. Um, and I'd kind of listen to things that they experienced in their workplace. Um, I'd also listen a lot to my friends and just what were their experiences at work? Um, what did they like? What did they not like? And I was able to use that in my own management, right? So yeah. if my friend would get stressed out because her manager would treat her in a yeah. certain way, yeah. I'd be able to pick up on that and think, oh yeah, actually yeah. that's <laughs> And there were some things that I used to do and my friends would, would tell me that if I did that to them, they'd walk out. <laughs> like, oh 
well, yeah, it's a great point. Yeah. Like, why would I ever do that, yeah. right? Yeah. It, it, you know, it's you've been trained how to do something internally, and you get that external perspective, and you realise if you only get training from one place, and that's the business that you work in, you get kind of brainwashed to thinking that's the only way. Yeah. Well, and if you're moving that quickly, you never have time to think, right. does this actually connect with my team? Exactly. So I, I found, you know, truly just conversations with anyone was really really good training or development if you like for me and and ways of learning what is a good way to interact with people on your team yeah no I think that's so spot on and I've even caught myself being like I can't when I play it back, like I can't believe I right. I acted in that way. Right. No wonder it's so common sense now. But yeah. in the moment, you just say things, do things, send it an email without because yeah. you're told thinking. that's what you're supposed to do. Yeah. Exactly. And, and as you say, you don't think about it. You're on an autopilot. You're just trying to get somewhere. Yeah, totally. Well, thank you so much, Kunjal, for thank your you. time. I think this will be a really um, insightful and interesting episode for the listeners. Uh, love having you share your insights so thanks again thank you okay so lots of good takeaways from today's episode i hope this was relevant for you i think kunjal touched upon some really key points both as an experienced manager recruiting her own teams but also from the perspective of an external recruiter and important to remember that the good ones will choose who they work with so always remember to you know treat them with respect give them your time and although it can seem crazy that, you know, often, like as Kunja uh, noted, some hiring managers will go, I don't have time to interview, I'm just going to send someone else. Really important to remember that, you know, you've, you're setting the, the tone of what it's like to work with you. Uh, you want to make people feel like they're a priority in your schedule. And every action that you take in this interview process uh, reflects the environment that you're going to be working in. And the right, smart candidates will take those kind of take stock and note of, you know, how many interviews did it take to, to make a decision? Who was in the interviews? What level of seniority? Uh, what kind of questions did they ask? I know that very often, and I've been in them, some candidates will go through three, five interviews and get asked the same question in every single meeting. And I don't mean tell me about yourself. Obviously, each interviewer has the right to ask that and get context on the candidate, but, you know, tell me about your career history in detail. When that happens, it's clear that interviewers are not syncing with each other and it's, it's a waste of everyone's time. So important to break down, you know, who should be screening for what. I always try to align interviewers' skill set to what I want them to kind of dig into. So I'm not great on my analytical ability and I'll get someone else to assess that in a candidate if that's a skill set that I require. And we always talk about hiring for your weaknesses. So a lot of people hire themselves because there's an immediate spark. You get on, oh my God, this is so great. Um, To discover that you start building a team and everybody's strengths align, which means some stuff's not getting done. Um, You know, it's not in balance. So if you are going to hire to your weakness and you're not an expert at that weakness, then how are you supposed to screen them properly? So make sure that when you're hiring for skill sets that you're not an expert on or you're not clear on, get other people to do the assessment that you know own that area of expertise. 
Um, the other thing, which this is all noted in the articles we've been putting out on OvertimeLeader.com, there's Hiring Gone Wrong Part 1 and Hiring Gone Wrong Part 2, which goes through different elements of the interview process and what's often done and what you can do better. Um, but do remember to make this a priority. Hiring is so integral. It's your uh, kind of 30 seconds to make an impact on a new candidate. Keep in mind that things like Glassdoor, where candidates can rate the interview process, um, that's all stuff great candidates will kind of do their research on and make an assessment of you. So be really mindful of what what you're putting forward uh, in an interview process, in a hiring process, and also in an onboarding process, but that's a whole other topic. Um, so hope you enjoyed today's episode. Uh, lots of thinking po- points. And like I said in the intro, if you're keen to learn more about this community of managers that we're building through overtime, then email me at jillian at crescentmain.com. C-R-E-S-C-E-N-T-M-A-I-N.com. See, talk to you in two weeks. Thanks.